Good morning. I hope you're well and thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to be picking up where we left off on Wednesday and hopefully complete our study of the first chapter of the book of Philippians written by the Apostle Paul this morning. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to get together this morning and to open your word. Father, we are so blessed that you have given us this amazing book so that we can learn more and more about you each day. Thank you for this opportunity and for everyone listening right now, Lord. We pray that you use this morning to encourage us and to help us grow in our faith, our understanding and our love for you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may remember on Wednesday, we were looking at the circumstances and the context of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, written whilst chained to the highest ranking Roman guards, facing death, yet full of joy, rooted in the fact that the gospel message was advancing and making its way through Rome and beyond. That still, despite his personal circumstances, Paul was able to see the much bigger gospel picture which was the ultimate source of joy for him. As we read our text this morning, we're going to see Paul flip his attention from what has already happened to what's about to happen in the future. So if you have your Bible, please join me as we read this morning's text. We're in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 30. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, for I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labour for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on here in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all of your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or if I remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but a sign of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Amazing. For Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's an incredible statement. And over the last few weeks, I found myself coming back to this passage time and time again. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So what does it mean to live is Christ? And how would we know if that was true? If you as a Christian were able to confidently say the same thing this morning, how would that look day to day? 
How would this play out in every aspect of your life? What would people see in you? We're going to have a look at this verse in its context this morning as we consider what Paul's message meant to the recipients of that letter and also how we can look to apply it in our lives today. So let's pick up where we left off on Wednesday in the book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 19. So Paul writes, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying here in his, in his deliverance? We'll see later in verse 25 that Paul is confident that he will ultimately be free. But this isn't quite what's going on here when he talks about his deliverance. This morning, we are using the New American Standard Translation, which is the NASB. But the King James may be a little bit more helpful with this particular verse. The Greek word that is being translated into deliverance is soteria, which can be rendered both deliverance or salvation. So the King James Version reads, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he's saying that no matter what happens to him, he knows that he is eternally secure and will ultimately be delivered regardless as to what happens with his fate set by Caesar. And interestingly, Paul has worded it in this way, as he's actually mirroring a quote directly from the Old Testament in the book of Job. So he knows that regardless of the outcome of his appeal to Caesar, that this will all end in his salvation. Paul is certain of where he will be spending eternity. But let us be crystal clear, his certainty is not based on anything he has done in good works. But because of the faith that he has in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's the same faith and the same certainty that we can have in our salvation today when we, by grace, put our faith in Jesus Christ also. 100% assurance. If someone was to say to you this morning, if you were to die tonight, where will you go? As Christians, we can say with absolute 100% confidence that we will be saved and we will go to be with the Lord. And someone that doesn't know any better might say, well, that's a bit presumptuous or prideful. But of course, we know that it's not that at all. We are not saved because of anything deserved in us, but because of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. And that's how we can know with absolute certainty that we are saved because of Jesus Christ and not because of us. It's also why we can rejoice and have so much joy in knowing that we can't lose our salvation. We didn't do anything to earn it in the first place. And we certainly don't do anything to maintain it. it if it was possible for you or I to lose our salvation, every single one of us would. But just like Paul, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then we can say no matter what happens to us in these short few years we have here on earth, we will be delivered, that we will be saved thanks to the atoning work of Christ on the cross. For what God started, he will finish. Paul says here that through their prayers, highlighting that he knows firsthand the power of prayer here, and he is, and in this verse, he's encouraging the church in Philippi to be actively involved in praying for him. We know that they had already supported him with a financial gift, which we know that he was very thankful for. But here, we see the real value. 
that the saints can come together to the creator of the, the amazing creator of the universe and make their prayer requests known to Paul. Prayers to bless him, to strengthen him, to sanctify him. Prayers to encourage him. And even though the church in Philippi sat 800 miles away, Paul was still very much on their minds. And what an encouragement that is to us today. That even in this season during lockdown, where we do not get to see each other week in and week out, that we can keep each other in prayer. If you're on the Peace Haven Prayer WhatsApp group, you would have seen firsthand the evidence that we have a living, powerful God that is active and has been answering so many of those prayers from people within our church family. And maybe here we can think of James chapter 5, verse 16. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Isn't it incredible that we have access to the creator of the universe and that we can call him our father, we can cry out to him, Abba. And he's never too busy to be, or he's never too busy or too disappointed in us or to, to listen or pour out his grace to us and that he has his arms open wide waiting for us to come to him. Amazing. And Paul continues in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is mind blowing. When you first read this at first glance, you can't help but put two and two together and come to the conclusion that Paul is talking about these preachers that we spoke about last week, the preachers teaching out of a selfish ambition that were having these little digs towards Paul. But that's not what's going on here at all. When you strip back everything and examine the inner, chamber, inner chambers of the Apostle Paul's heart, it isn't his glory that he's concerned about, but Christ's. This is his passion, that Christ will be exalted in everything he does, whether that be through his living or through his death. The Greek word here is megaluno, which means magnify, that Christ will be made big. He will be made to look great, to be glorified. This is what we refer to when we say things like, will this glorify the Lord? Glorifying the Lord is what gives Paul complete and utter joy. And here he insists that he will continue to rejoice because his joy isn't wrapped up in his own circumstances, in his things, in having an easy life. His joy wasn't in making a name for himself amongst the other Christians or a life without conflict. His joy isn't even in staying alive. Paul's joy is found in making much of Christ, whether that be by his life or by his death. If Christ is magnified, then his joy is full. And you can see how this flows through the, every stroke of Paul's pen. He contrasts his shame, not with his own honour and reputation, but with Christ's honour. For Paul, the opposite of his shame was not his own reputation, but Christ's honour. And how amazing is this? And how we pray to have Paul's heart in our own lives here. That Paul's deepest joy is sourced from when Christ is honoured and magnified, no matter what is happening to him. What an incredible con contrast to the world that we live in today, where self is elevated over everything. The love of me. What is typical in our world right now is how much am I glorified? Not Christ. What do people think of me, my stuff, my achievements, my reputation? And of course, social media does much to encourage our generation to pour petrol on the flames. 
And the companies behind these platforms have spent hundreds of millions of pounds in making sure that we are all addicted to social media. It's a well-known fact that they have hired the very best consultants that are the same people behind the addictive behaviours of slot machines in Las Vegas. The likes, the notifications, the instant gratification, the affirmation, the promotion, all designed to feed humans' insatiable hunger of self. We have more opportunities to make idols of ourselves than ever before in the history of the world. But listen to what John the Baptist said when his disciples came up and asked him, and they said to him, Rabbi, everyone is beginning to follow the one that you baptised. Can you remember what John the Baptist said? He answered, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of a bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has become full. He must increase, but I must decrease. His joy is made full because he must decrease and the Lord must increase. This is just incredible. And like John the Baptist, how can Paul be so confident that Christ will be exalted? And it's because of the incredible verse that we spoke about earlier. Verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying here that if he stays alive, then Christ, utterly Christ, a life totally consumed in living for Christ in everything he does. And if he dies, he gets to go and be with Jesus. It's the ultimate win-win scenario for the Apostle Paul. For Paul, it isn't that he's, that he's just a very religious man so that Jesus is at the top of the most important things to do for him. Jesus is at the very core of everything for Paul, not top of a list, but in the middle of everything in that list. For Paul, to live is for Christ and to die is gain. And his confidence of gain doesn't come from his track record here on earth, as we spoke about earlier, as Paul knows too well that he counts it all as loss. And even his best deeds are like filthy rags to the Lord. His unmovable confidence comes from the perfection of the substitute. And the source of Paul's righteousness is faith in Jesus Christ. The gain that Paul speaks about is because he knows that what is to come in eternity cannot compare to anything we have never known on, the, on, on life in this earth. The, the best moments in your life, the best highlights in your life, nothing will compare, compare with eternity. An eternity without sin, without pain, without suffering, without injustice, without sickness, and most importantly, in the presence of the Lord. And it's so important to pick this up in Paul's sentence structure here, that both parts of this sentence are linked in a way in which the latter cannot be true without the former. If you do not live in Christ, then death can be of no gain. To live without Christ, to not know Christ, to not know him as your saviour whilst you are alive, results in the absolute opposite of gain. To die without Christ is the ultimate loss. The gain is because Paul knows our best life is not now. Christian's best life is still to come in eternity with the Lord. And he continues here in verse 22. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labour for me and I do not know which to choose. Living in Christ bears fruitful labour. There is a saying that I'm sure you're all familiar with, that someone can be so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. But really, when you stop and think about it, the absolute opposite is true. We will never 
be of any earthly good until we are first heavenly minded. And that should be our motivation, that our wisdom, our knowledge and our truth comes from this book and is brought to life by the Holy Spirit in us as Christians. That this is what moves us to have our eyes on Christ and therefore becomes the basis for our labour, just like it is in Paul's life. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And just like what Paul is saying here, if he doesn't die, he has work to do. And he knows, and so do we, that there is so much work to do. And hear me, not in a legalistic sense, but in the sense that God has invited us to participate in his work. There is a gospel to proclaim, good news to be told, spiritually dead people that need to hear of the cross and the only way in which to be saved is through faith in Jesus Christ by grace. And in verse 23 here, Paul says that he's hard pressed between living and dying, caught between staying here and helping serve and also by going to be with the Lord. I'm sure if you're already a Christian listening, maybe we can identify with this mindset. When we see the world falling apart on TV, the injustice, the violence, the threat. We can worry about our families and those that we love and it's easy for us to think, Lord, come quickly. And I hope that all of this sin and pain will end. But then, in that very same moment, I'm sure there will be loved ones in your own family, friends, colleagues who come to mind that do not yet know Jesus and it causes us to have this internal pull of, Lord, don't come yet. Let this be a motivation to us this morning that we do not know when the Lord will call a time on our labour. There will be a time when he no longer desires, desires for us to tell people of his plan of salvation because when we are in eternity, everyone there will already know it. Neither do we know how many days we each have left on this earth. Lord, help make us aware of what our labour is. Give us a renewed energy and desire this morning to share this vital message with people. As Christians, complacency is not our friend. We can easily slip into a complacent, long-term mindset when it comes to sharing the gospel with our friends and our loved ones and and banking on, on an opportunity tomorrow. But tomorrow isn't promised. If someone I loved was stuck in a burning building five minutes up the road, I would speed to their house, kick down the door and do everything I could to get them out of that house. And for what? To save the next 30 or 40 years of their life here on earth. Yet that same person may not know Christ and therefore be heading for an eternity in hell for a billion, billion, billion years and more separated from God. And yet I am in my mind, other things can become more important. Of course, This is not to say that someone's salvation relies on me or you. That would be absurd. God is sovereign and he certainly doesn't need me or you to fulfill his purposes. But just like Paul, just like it says in Ephesians 2, that he has laid out these good works for us to walk in. God has designed it that we get to participate in the joy of sharing this great news. It's an incredible kindness from the Lord that he lets lets us do that. To see someone become a Christian and to grow in their faith. Is priceless. The gospel is the only vaccination against the deadliest of conditions which every one of us has, and that is sin. Do you remember in Genesis when Noah was told to build an ark? Can you imagine if Noah was complacent, busy with other things, thinking, well, 
God, the creator of the universe, spoke everything into existence. We could easily do the same with a big boat. So I'm going to go and make a head start on that vineyard that I'm planning on making. The gospel is our ark today. We have the unbelievable privilege of being able to share this truth with people today. Brothers and sisters, let us be so heavenly minded that we can be of some earthly good. Let us know the gospel message and let it be on the tip of our tongues. We know something that the world needs to hear desperately. Something that will impact where someone spends eternity. Could you imagine if you found out that someone had the cure for COVID-19 all along and they just kept it in their pocket and they didn't bother to tell anyone? They had it, so that's okay. We know the cure for something so much more important than COVID-19. And of course, when we read of this labour, of Paul's labour, we must not misread this labour as being any kind of work that contributes to salvation. We know that it's impossible to earn your salvation and that we can only be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. What we are seeing here is a response to that salvation, the fruit from already being saved. And Paul continues here in verse 23, and in the ESV it actually reads, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. In the NASB, what we read earlier, he uses the phrase, very much better, which makes awkward English when translated. He's referring to the glory as to what is to come, which is beyond the limits of our wildest imagination. If we had even the slightest peep behind the curtain, then we wouldn't hesitate leaving this world for a second. And that's how we can say so confidently, it's gain. The anticipa anticipation of things to come for Christians, when we just pause and meditate on that, what a source of joy. And Paul continues here, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So we ask ourselves, why is that necessary? Well, some of those reasons that Paul addresses later on in the letter, the threat of disunity between a couple of church members in Philippi, the call for discernment for, from incoming false teachers leads Paul to thinking that he still has much work to do with the church in Philippi and points to him thinking that he will stay alive. And then, as we continue reading in verse 27, Paul challenges them to live lives that are in the manner worthy of the gospel. Paul writes here in chapter, verse 27, chapter 1, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you, and see you, or if I remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So what does it mean to conduct yourselves, to live a life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? And the second question, the second part of that question is, what does it mean to live that life when nobody else is looking? It's one thing to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel when you're around other people and you know that they're looking. But what about when they're not? Paul is saying here that whether he is with them or not, there should be a consistency of them conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you're like me, maybe you find yourself on Twitter, which provides a great example of what I want to draw out here. On Twitter, you can be anonymous, just you and your thoughts. Sometimes you cannot fail to look on in horror as people that claim to be Christians provide a horrendous, graceless, witness to Christ. On a daily basis, Christians under the cover of being incognito use the platform to promote heretical theology, anti-Semitism, racism, hateful or bullying language, and absolute lack of love for people that are less fortunate than themselves, 
attacks on people in plain sight, and then in the very next tweet, will retweet a Bible verse or offer to pray for someone. If these people were listening this morning, I would have to ask them, would you be comfortable with what you post on social media if Jesus started following you on Twitter or became friends with you on Facebook? Would that make you scramble to your phone to delete some of the comments or modify your behaviour online? Would a non-Christian that follows you or is friends with you look at your profile and see you as a Christ follower, full of love and joy and become intrigued as to who this Jesus is that you follow? Or do you look no different from the world? Charles Spurgeon once famously said, You are the only Bible that some unbelievers will ever read and your life is under scrutiny every single day. What do others learn from you? Do they see an accurate picture of your God? How we must remember that we represent the King of Kings 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I had a job where I worked with some people that said they were Christians. And sometimes the conversations in the office was anything other than glorifying to the Lord. I remember saying on several occasions, would we have this conversation if we could see that Jesus was in the office right now? Imagine if a member of staff from Buckingham Palace was going home on the bus after a long day at work, still wearing their uniform, and they started misbehaving. Can you imagine what would happen? Bringing dishonour to the Queen. Do we want to bring dishonour to our God? We think of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul writes, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And of course, this doesn't mean that we want to fall in a ditch on the other side by working in the flesh to present ourselves as sinless, perfect, self-righteous people. As Christians, we know what we are. We know what we have in Christ. Conducting ourselves in a way worthy of the gospel of Christ isn't to cover up our sins and mistakes, but to instead speak of the grace of the one that has forgiven them and to live lives in response to that truth. And Paul continuing on here in verse 27 says, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here, Paul is saying, stand firm in one spirit, speaking here of the unity of the church in Philippi. He's telling them to be strong and united, to stand together and to strive together for the faith of the gospel, that they are united in the unwavering, rock-solid gospel truth. Their anchor is the gospel. Some people use this as a proof text to push for an ecumenical approach for a one-world religion, laying aside any doctrine issues, including the exclusivity of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But this is saying the opposite. The unity comes from standing together for the gospel truth, not laying the gospel aside. The phrase, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy, is just one word in the Greek. It's polytheus. It literally means to live as a citizen. This word was especially appropriate to use in a letter to the Philippians, who took great pride in their new Roman citizenship. The Philippian Christians, however, were also citizens of a more important kingdom. A heavenly one. And as such, they needed to be standing firm in one spirit. One commentary that I read this week brilliantly states, Philippi was a colony of Rome in Macedonia and the church 
was a colony of heaven in Philippi. And Paul finishes off this verse in 27 by saying, don't be alarmed by your opponents. And the root word for alarmed here is like a, if you can imagine, a nervous horse being startled. He's saying that it is because you have the authentic gospel that there will be opposition. He's saying that that opposition is a sign both to you, the believers, and also a sign to your opponents, the persecutors of the true gospel message. And that sign can come in many forms, including persecution in this world. But as the Apostle Paul has so brilliantly demonstrated for us so far in Philippians chapter 1, we do not need to let that steal our joy. I want to finish this morning by reading um, Psalm 34. Uh, It's a brilliant psalm and I I really hope it would encourage us this morning as we close. Psalm 34, please turn there if you've got your Bible with you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. I'll taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I'll fear the Lord, you who are his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there that who does not desire life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you so much that you know us and that you're for us, Lord. And thank you for the good news that we have in the gospel. That's our joy, our hope, and that our eternal security is found in Christ. Help us to live lives that whilst we are here on earth for those few short years, Lord, that we glorify you, Father. Father, you are amazing. We praise you and we love you and Thank you for all that you're doing within this church, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're delighted to say that Graham will be back on Wednesday. And thank you so much for tuning in over the last few weeks whilst he's been away. The baton is now being handed back over and we can all look forward to some excellent teaching on Wednesday. Thank you so much. God bless.